That works. Um, I am very thankful to be back with you all this morning. Um, yeah, I, I was telling Pastor Ken that um, uh, what you guys have here is such a beautiful community that being born and raised in Ecuador and we are driven by just community, just everything that I experience here and how you guys have made me feel for, the, for even the last time and even today has been very, very amazing, very welcoming. Okay, before we start, we're going to talk about a lot of controversial things, and I want you to ask the person next to you, are you ready to hear about some pretty interesting things? Go. Now, let's, let's, rephrase, let's rephrase the question. Let's rephrase the question, and I'm going to use 21st century terminology. You ready? Don't judge me. Just play the game with me, okay? Ask the person next to you, are you ready to talk about ghost stories? Remember, I'm here to preach God's word, not to give you an excerpt on The Conjuring. But um, we're going to talk about something that is very interesting, and I'll explain this later. But this morning, uh, we want to continue your series in the book of Acts uh, called Spreading and Flourishing. I believe that one of Pastor Ken's uh, primary goals is to fortify your understanding and affections towards the nature, purpose, and mission of the church. Last week, and even from the beginning of this teaching series, Pastor Ken mentioned that two of the major themes throughout this book is called the spreading and flourishing of the church. Now, in today's passage, in today's passage, we will see how a spirit-filled fisherman and his sermon became the powerful tool God used to begin the formation, flourishment, and spreading of Christ's church in the world. A fisherman's sermon became the powerful tool that God used to spread the church that now we have. So here's the big idea. You can pull out your phone, or if you are the one who takes notes with a pen, write this down. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is God's guaranteed promise to be saved. That's my big idea. Remember the question about ghost stories? The Holy Spirit is God's guaranteed promise to be saved. There's one thing that we have in the, in the West, not only in the West, but in every country in the world, called plausibility structures. A plausibility, a plausibility structure is the system of beliefs that any country or society or um, family or school or institution believe in order for something to flourish. What, what is that belief that society believes in order for society to succeed and flourish. I believe that in the U.S. it's very mechanistic. One plus one plus one equals three. Nothing changes that. We believe in hard sciences and we believe in, in uh, things that actually make sense that are logical, things enlightenment. But in other places like Haiti, they don't believe that. In fact, when I was there two years ago, no, three years ago, a guy said, a testimony of a guy that said that a voodoo priest converted to Christianity after he was unable to levitate on the church's property. You see how this is shocking right now to you? You're like, there's no way because of the possibility structure. However, here in the West, you guys do believe in this thing called emanism, which the spiritual realm, this thing called karma. A lot of people here believe that, or like knock on wood. Why am I going to knock on wood? What is that? Why is that going to work? Or they'll work on the ladder. Even here in the U.S., people believe in this Spiritual one. Pastor Ken mentioned about the force in Star Wars. You don't believe it? Sounds good. Or well, maybe you do believe it. You just don't want to admit it. 
Plausibility structure. So when I mention that my big idea is that the Holy Spirit, which is not heavenly pisty dust, it's not like Tinkerbell, it doesn't work like that, it's actually a person. That the Holy Spirit is God's guaranteed promise to be saved. I hope you're not turned off by what I'm going to tell you. What I'm going to show you with the scriptures, very briefly, is tremendous hope for you and me. Guaranteed promise. Now, before Jesus ascended back to heaven, let me give you a little bit of context. Before Jesus, Jesus ascended back to heaven, he promised his disciples of the gift of the Holy Spirit so they can continue Christ's mission of forgiving, redeeming, and saving sinners in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and in the whole world. Then, when, they, when the day of Pentecost arrived and all the disciples were together, the promised Holy Spirit comes, causes all the disciples to start proclaiming the mighty works of God in different languages, and causes two different responses in one large crowd. Amazement and mockery. Which, side note, the same thing can happen this morning. Amazement and mockery. Aware of the tumultuous situation, Peter boldly stood up and decided to provide an interpretation of the event with, guess what? With a sermon. Because that's what Christians do. We just preach. Open your Bibles in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2. I'm sure you're there already. Are you there? Can anyone say amen? amen. People here say amen loud? Yeah. South America would say loud, really loud. But yes. <laughs> that is funny, but I'm not going to repeat it because I'm being recorded. Acts chapter 2, verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lift up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. Let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose. This is early 9 in the morning. Not hilarious. We're not drunk. It's 9 a.m. We don't drink at 9 a.m. You got to wait later. So funny. But this was... This, uh, but, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male serv- uh, servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit. And they shall prophesy. And I will shout wonders in the heavens above. And signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. Therefore, the day, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, the first thing that I want you to see, I want to highlight through these verses, especially from verses 14 to 21, is that our God keeps His promise. Our God is not a human to lie. Or to change his mind. Or playing with our feelings. Our God keeps his promise. In fact, he's going to get away with whatever he wants to get away with. Even if you disagree, it's like gravity. You may not believe in gravity because you cannot see it. And yet, it will still happen. Our God keeps his promise. Now, Peter begins... His interpretation of the event. Which remember that before all these disciples are being sealed by the Holy Spirit. And they're uttering things in different languages. The mighty works of God. My view, you don't have to believe this, but my view. Oh, it's me touching this, excuse me. My view 
is that through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Peter is actually proclaiming this sermon that the people in, in this region and us needed to hear. And, the, and this fisherman, Peter, is calling people's attention to a prophecy made by the prophet Joel in chapter 2, verse 28 to 32, about the famous the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. There is one day coming up that God is going to make everything right. In fact, since the beginning, since Genesis... The timer was set off. And then now every, the whole uh, course of history is moving to this magnificent, terrifying, but glorious day. Called the day of the Lord. The whole creation, both believers and unbelievers, somehow can sense, can believe that there's going to be one day that things are going to be right. For the believer, this is great news. We shall rejoice. But the unbeliever, it is terrifying. It is terrifying. The day of the Lord. What they just witnessed, this big crowd just witnessed, was not drunken aberration, but a very anticipated day by the Jewish community of God establishing His glorious kingdom on earth. So what God revealed to the prophet Joel concerning the pouring of His Spirit on all people was now being fulfilled... In the presence of Jews from every nation under heaven. Our God keeps his promise. Now, one of the most significant aspects of this prophecy is stated in verse 21. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, why is that significant? Remember that I told you about this day of the Lord. Now for the believers, this is a glorious day. But for the unbeliever, this is a terrifying day. You should be terrified, scared. That's why we as believers evangelize. Because we want people to not experience that day. We want people to actually call upon the name of the Lord and say, Lord, I need help. I don't want to experience that thing that is so terrifying. I need help. And yes, the Lord can actually save you. That terrifying day. Now, before the kingdom of God is established on earth, the prophet Joel says that the king will freely give the gift of his spirit so that everyone that believes, that trusts in him, will be saved. If today you come to Jesus, if today you're saying, I don't want to experience that. If today you feel afraid of death. If today you feel afraid of this magnificent day. If today you say, Lord Jesus, take me. He will never cast you out. Never. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Therefore, the Holy Spirit, what they were witnessing, was a sign that the day of the Lord was at hand. It's a sign. Brothers and sisters from Christ Church Los Angeles. We, those who believe in Christ, are a living example that our God keeps His promise. You and I have the ability to experience an intimate relationship with God and flourish into the ideal 
version of ourselves, which is Christ in us. Why? Because of the gift of the Holy Spirit. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. He says, Not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do. One thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and, in training and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal of, for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. What is our prize? According to Romans chapter 8, verses 28 to 29, to actually become like Christ. The best version of yourself, the ideal version of yourself, is not actually you, but Christ in you. Because if you ask me about it after the sermon, and I share you my testimony, I don't want to be that guy 15 years, 20 years ago. I don't want to be that guy. Broken, insecure, Angry towards what happened to me. I want to be like Christ. Because the more I know who he is, the more I want to be like him. It's kind of when I was a soccer player back in high school. I wanted to be like Ronaldinho. Maybe 10% in the room know who that person is. <laughs> or 5%. <laughs> I wanted to be like him. The more I know who Christ is, the more I see it in his word, the more I see my life being changed, the more I want to be like him. Not like Ricky back 20 years ago. To be like Christ is the goal. And it is possible because of the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you a question. I'm give you 10 seconds. To reflect on this. It's two questions actually. Are you scared to die? You will find out that tomorrow. Is your last day on earth. Are you scared? It's okay if you say yes. No one is like yeah. No one is excited about that. It's the normal response to be like yeah. But it's interesting that when we ask these questions, all of a sudden our lives kind of like get organized. All of a sudden, the things that do not matter, that we actually make those things matter the most, they don't matter when we ask that question. You're scared. Terrified. You know why? Because no one really knows what happens. I've been in rooms saying goodbye to people in our church that are going to this mysterious world. I've been in rooms like that. It's a fascinating concept. Now, the only one who knows what happens after that is the only one who was able to come back from the dead. Jesus Christ. Now, here's the second question I want you to ask before I keep scaring you. Have you ever doubted your salvation? I work with teenagers, born and raised in a Christian home. All they know is Christianity, and they think they're saved. And I ask them this question. If you die tonight, because how many of you guys can control the heartbeats of your heart? No one? That's right. So what guarantees you you're going to be alive tomorrow? I know. I'm so sorry. I keep scaring you. Sorry, Ken. 
Right. What guarantees you that? Okay. Are you certain? Are you 100% that when God looks at your face, he's going to be like, yes, welcome. Without question, most of my students, they doubt. They're super scared. Because you and I know we're not that awesome. Have you ever doubted that? If the answer is yes, that's okay. That's totally fine. Well, if that has been you, let me tell you about something that Peter actually does in his sermon. For some of you guys, it's going to be new information, but for some of you, it's going to be a reminder. But here's a reminder that the Holy Spirit is God's guaranteed promise to be saved. Peter is going to explain how this promised gift was accomplished in Jesus Christ. Verse 22 to 36 is a very long section that he's trying to explain. And I'll do my best to simplify so you can see what is happening. But here's what I want you to write down. That our God kept his promise through the sending of his son. That's Peter's main concern from verses 22 to 36. That our God kept his promise through the sending of his son. Verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, and you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised them up, losing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Fascinating introduction. Fascinating explanation about the person of Jesus. Peter is trying to persuade the, 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 the crowd and say, Hey, the guy that we believe, the giver of the Holy Spirit, is not just a, con, a, just a, a random person. And it's interesting that he says, Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth was a terrible town. That's when Nathaniel, one of the disciples, says, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Yes, the Son of God. And Peter actually says two things. Number one, on these verses, he says that Jesus is Lord on whom to call for salvation because he's the true Messiah. Verse 22, he explains his life, that Jesus' life is unique because he, it was demonstrated through wonders and signs. Verse 23, his death, that his death was according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, that God already planned that this was going to happen, this plan of redemption and salvation. Verse 24 and verse 32 explains about his resurrection that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was his ultimate accreditation and vindication as Messiah. The resurrection changes everything. Without the resurrection, all we're doing right now is pointless. The resurrection, according to 1 Corinthians 15, changes everything. We worship a Savior who is alive. And then, as the prophecy of Joel, here's the fascinating part. As the prophecy of Joel was used to interpret and explain the gift of the Holy Spirit. In verses 25 to 28, Peter uses Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11, as a key argument to testify that Jesus is indeed a Christ, the Messiah. He's not using that Psalm to prove the resurrection. He's using this Psalm to prove that Jesus is actually 
God in the flesh. That Jesus is actually the Christ, the anointing one. That Jesus is actually the one that if you believe in him, you're actually going to be saved. That you're actually going to be secure once you give your last breath on earth. The cool thing about this psalm is that this psalm celebrates the benefit of a life under the rule of God. The psalm says that only those who trust in the Lord can truly flourish in this life and are afraid of death. Only Christ's followers can live assured that death is not the end of their story. Only Christ's followers can live assured that death is not the end of their story. Therefore, Peter links the hope of the psalmist with, with Jesus and his resurrection. That's why Peter describes King David as a, as a prophet in verse 30, because this psalm describes something beyond David's personal experience. It's something beyond what David was writing. Now, simply put, Peter's point is this, that only through the resurrection could a son of David rule forever over God's people. Only through the resurrection. And everything I'm describing here, it's a lot of Old Testament information. That in a fascinating way, Peter uses that as a, as a key pieces of evidence to prove that Jesus is the Messiah. Because, brothers and sisters, what Peter is doing is what I'm trying to do right now. To actually show you that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That if you come to him, he will take you and he will make your life 100% new. That everything that your heart is longing for is actually in Jesus. That's why the things that you're pursuing are actually not working. I can promise you that. And praise Him for the rain. Brothers and sisters, the resurrection changes everything. And lastly, in verse 33, his four pieces of evidence is his exaltation. Jesus' exaltation. Jesus is God the Son incarnate and the giver of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if he's the Son, God the Son incarnate and the giver of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is Lord on whom the gift of the Holy Spirit is available because he is true Messiah. What the crowd just witnessed at Pentecost were the signs of Jesus' exaltation as Lord over the universe and dispenser of the Holy Spirit. Which is the guarantee. It's a guarantee promise for anyone that desires to be saved. Okay. I just give you a lot of information right now. I literally summarize Old Testament history in five minutes. Peter is explaining the gospel to people. Peter is saying because of the person and works of Jesus Christ and his coming kingdom, if you believe in him, you will get eternal life. You will be invited into the kingdom. Here are the proofs that this Jesus is actually God the Son incarnate. Here are the proofs that Jesus was not just a common dude from Nazareth. That he's actually God on the flesh. He makes this massive presentation. He finishes sermon. Now the question is that I have for you. Now what? You heard it. Now what? What's the appropriate response when we hear the message of the gospel? Remember, before this sermon happened, and people were having, 
People were proclaiming the mighty works of God in their own language. Some people were tracking. Some people were leaning in. Some people were listening. Some people were saying, that actually makes sense. But others said, no man, I don't know what's, what is that. I don't believe that. I just got to tell you, there's nothing I can do to control your response. There's nothing I can do. But throughout history, we see that particular response. Every single time people hear just the words of Jesus, which has nothing to do with the messenger. It has to do all with the content. When people heard the message, verse 37, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. You know what that means? means they were deeply convicted. Remember when you were little and you got caught? Stealing the cookies from the cookie jar? Or lying? You're just caught. Which is an illustration can be back in the Garden of Eden. When everything was right and all of a sudden they had this awareness that they were wrong. And what was that awareness that they did something wrong? They realized they were naked. That's what God asked them. Are you, who told you, you? Who told you that that you were like this? You're being caught, deeply convicted of this, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? If that's the way of eternal life, if that's the golden ticket, if that's how I. I'm saved from this day of judgment. If I'm saved from this glorious day, the day of the Lord, if that's the way, if there's salvation after this life, if that's the way, how do I get that? Which is interesting. Those who mocked at first, now they're saying, okay, okay, so now what do we do now? They were convicted of the mockery that they actually reflected on at the beginning. Now they're saying, what do we do? What, what do we What's, what's the response? And Peter said to them, do two things. In fact, it's an appeal. And he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive this gift that you see, the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and for your children and for all who far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. He continues to appeal to them, Please save yourself. Please save yourself. Please. Stop rejecting the Son. Please. Repent and be baptized. Brothers and sisters, there's a big difference between repentance and remorse. Remorse is just a negative emotion of feeling. You just feel bad about the things that you and I do. But repentance is to actually turn around. Whoever was stealing, don't steal no more and work hard. You were known for being a liar, don't tell lies, tell the truth. And so on, so on. 
Don't go back to your used to be. Don't go back to your slavery. Be free. Repent. Don't do that again. Now, now you get to do things as a free person. And being baptized. You know what that means? There's nothing magical about L.A. water. Nothing. There's nothing magical about L.A. water. Pretty much means that now, when you get baptized, you're identifying yourself with Christ. And you want the people in your community, this community, and the people of the entire community, to now identify you. Not with your previous community, but now with this community, and now with Christ. That's it. It's a public demonstration that now you belong to Christ. That's baptism. Do those two things. And you know why we get baptized? Because Jesus asked us to get baptized. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now what was the result? 3,000 souls were saved. How did that happen? Well, chapter 2, verse 47 gives us a key. That the Lord was adding those who were going to be saved. That God is the one in charge, drawing you to himself with love and patience. 3,000 people, and then we have the birth of a new community. Chapter, uh, verse 42, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the new prayers. Look at this new community. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need, and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added those to the number day by day, those who were going to be saved. Which is interesting. A new community is, is born. I have more in common with you, as an American who is in Christ, than with an Ecuadorian who is not a believer. What a precious community. What an amazing community. You see, the Holy Spirit is God's promise to guarantee the unsaved to be saved. The Holy Spirit is God's guarantee promise to be saved. Our God keeps His promises. He promised that the serpent would not win in Genesis 3.15. He accomplished His promise through the life, death, resurrection and exaltation of his son Jesus. And his promise continues today in 2023 through the gift of his Holy Spirit. And we believe that promise enough to venture an eternity on it. Now what? I want to give you three things. If today you're here and you haven't repent and believe, repent and believe Trust in heaven. Christ Church, Los Angeles, the proper response, repentance and belief is the proper response when you hear the message of the gospel. The other ones get baptized. Beloved brothers and sisters, baptism is the proper decision to identify yourself with Jesus. Lastly, belong to this community. Be a part of this community. The church is the proper place to belong to a glorious community, flourish spiritually, and spread the gospel locally and globally. Our God is less interested in us performing well 
and more interested in us flourishing into the ideal version of ourselves, which is Christ in us. Praise be to God for the gift of His Holy Spirit. That's your Heavenly Father's guaranteed promise of your salvation, sanctification, restoration, and motivation to spread the gospel, the hope of the gospel, so that every tongue and nation under heaven may proclaim the mighty works of God. Patiently we wait to the coming King. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that we just needed to be reminded and needed our souls to hear. Father, only you know the exact situation that is in people's lives. You know their thoughts. You know their worries. The anxiety. You know that, Lord. But I pray, Lord, that you will all encourage, you will encourage our hearts by reminding us that the gift of your Holy Spirit is the guarantee, is your guarantee promise for us to be saved. Father, I continue to pray for the salvation of every single individual in this congregation. I pray, Lord, that they will continue to move forward and they will continue to persevere looking to you who is the author and perfecter of our faith. So thankful to be here. And I'm so thankful to be a part of the universal church because today, all over the world, we're proclaiming the hope of the gospel. Today, all over the world, we proclaim and say that Jesus is king. In him there is eternal life and eagerly awaiting for his second coming. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.